if you're ready for the word, I'm going to share my text verse for this morning. In fact, if you would please stand with me as we read the word of God. We're talking about evangelism today, and uh, my first, my text verse is out of Luke 15, verses 3 to 7. It said, then Jesus told them this parable. Suppose one of you has a hundred sheep and loses one of them. Does he not leave the 99 in the open country and go after the lost sheep until he finds it? And when he finds it, he joyfully puts it on his shoulders and goes home. Then he calls his friends and neighbors together and says, rejoice with me, I have found my lost sheep. I tell you that in the same way, there will be more rejoicing in heaven. Everyone say rejoicing in heaven. Over one sinner who repents than over 99 righteous persons who do not need to repent. The title of my message today is, What If We Had God's Heart for the One? Would you pray with me this morning? Father God, we love you. We thank you for this incredible blessing and privilege of being here today. Lord, what an honor to be in your house and to be gathered together corporately to worship you and to hear your word. Father, I pray that you would get me out of the way so that you could do the work you want to do in our lives today. God, we ask today that you and you alone would be glorified. Would you prepare our hearts, Lord? Would our hearts be good soil so that your seed can be planted and produce a fruit in our lives? We promise to give you all the glory, all the praise, all the honor. You're the only one worthy of any of it. And it's in Jesus' name that we pray. And everybody said, amen, amen. You can be seated. God bless you. You also can feel free to take your mask off during the sermon if you like. We do ask you to put it back on as you leave. But um, as I always say, I'm going to try my best not to spit on you. So no promises for the front row, though. So we see in this verse, we see God's heart for the lost. And uh, we don't even like to, a lot of people don't even like to use the term lost anymore because that implies that's a negative connotation. But really, in reality, the Bible talks about those that don't know Jesus as being lost because the desire is that we would all be in his herd, in his pen with him as, as his sheep. And in fact, Luke 15, this chapter that this verse is out of, is dedicated to talking about God's heart for the lost. There's three parables in, that comprise all of Luke 15. The first one is the lost sheep. The second one is the lost coin, which is very similar to the lost sheep. And then the third one is the lost son, which is the most famous one. It's, the, it's also called the prodigal son sometimes, talking about God's heart for the lost son. And I just want to pause here for a second because I want to make sure we understand this and we get this at the beginning of this message, that God's heart is for the lost. And our heart is supposed to be for the lost. It doesn't mean he doesn't care about saved people. Of course he does. But it says very clearly in that verse that there is more rejoicing in heaven over a lost one that gets saved than over the 99 that don't need repentance. So what he's saying here is that God's not content with just having 99. He wants 100. And he's challenging us here that we shouldn't be content either. That it should break our heart for the lost because that's God's heart and he wants us to have the same heart as he has. I want to illustrate with a story. Um, I've told this story before, but uh, it bears repeating. Uh, so when my kids were a lot younger, in fact, my oldest, Taylor, she was seven, I think. She was in the Columbia County Rec Soccer League. Uh, little girls running around, kicking a ball, you know. And uh, we went to the game. All, my whole family went. And afterwards, we were standing there talking to some of the parents. And I had Noah with me. And he was, I, I think he was about three at the time. And uh, I got distracted somehow and um, lost. He, he pulled his hand away from me. It felt like for five seconds. And I turned to look for him, and he was gone. And uh, it was out at Blanchard Park. And if you've been out there, you can see 
200 yards in every direction. Huge, huge soccer fields out there. And he was absolutely gone. And most of the people had already left too, and I couldn't see him anywhere. And I mean, instant panic set in. Instant panic. And I went over to Joy and said, do you know where he is? She didn't know. And we started running around looking for him. We were telling some of the other parents that were there, you know, that we couldn't find our son. And, and uh, it was this chaotic scene, what seemed like forever. And, you know, it, it actually got to the point where I started thinking to myself, do I need to call the police? Like, that's how, how bad it had gotten. And um, one of the dads that was with me said, hey, I'll go look. He ran out to the parking lot where some of the cars were. And within a minute or two, he comes back with Noah in tow. And turns out Noah followed some other guy out there that I guess he thought looked like me. Must have been a really good-looking guy, I guess. Um, and uh, he didn't know. He never knew anything happened. You know, and he brought him back. And let me tell you something. There was rejoicing in our house at that moment when we got our son back. And, you know, it, it's such a great illustration because it, it gives us kind of the heart of God in that because, you know, there was never a moment when he was missing that Joy and I looked at each other and said, you know what, we still got two kids. We're good. You know, Noah's boy, he's a three-year-old, so he's kind of annoying right now anyway. You know, he's still a little annoying sometimes, but we love him. But there was never a moment where we said, we're good. You know, two out of three is not bad. We're batting 66%. None of us. And I know you would look at me and think, well, that would, you'd have to be an animal to say that, to think that you would allow, think that maybe your three-year-old could be fine on their own because they're so helpless and they need a parent so desperately, right? So we'd be savages to say, it's no big deal. I got two out of three, we're good. But yet, spiritually, we can think that, well, you know, we'd like for those other people to be saved, but it's not really something I'm willing to stop my life and really make a big sacrifice to make sure that the gospel is advanced and that the lost are found. But in reality, I could very easily make the argument to you that when someone is spiritually lost, they're in much graver danger than somebody that's geographically lost. When we're lost on this earth and we've, a child has lost their parents, scary and it's not good, but the, the eternal ramifications are nothing compared to somebody that's spiritually lost. Nothing at all. It's not even close. And that's why God's heart is so for the lost. That's why he talks about it over and over again and, and lets us know and understand. And he's commissioned us to be his hands and feet to this world because he is not willing that any should perish but that all should come to a knowledge of who he is and come into his sheep pen with the rest of us. That's God's heart for the lost. In fact, we see in Luke 19.10, Jesus said, for the son of man came to seek and save what was lost. That's why he came. And you know, it's funny because at one time we were the one. If, you're, if you call yourself a Christian today, you're a follower of Jesus, at one time you were the one. And he didn't stay with the 99 and leave you. He came and got you. Now, he might have used a family member, he might have used an evangelist, he might have used a church, but somebody came and got you. They were the hands and feet of Jesus. The Bible says no one can come to him unless the Spirit draws him. So it was God that drew you to him. So this parable of the 99 sheep works for us. And so we need to have a heart for the one, because that's God's heart too. And you know, our reaction, your immediate reaction when I start talking about the lost, when we say, you know, today we're going to be preaching on evangelism, our reaction to what we think of that tells us where we are in our relationship with the Lord. It tells us what depth of relationship we have with him because, you know, there, there's different levels of faith in Jesus. Now, not different levels of like who he loves more or anything like that, but levels of maturity, levels of depth of relationship with Jesus in our life. And when you're first saved, you're new in your faith, you're pretty young, most of your time is spent praying for yourself. 
You know, you pray for yourself. You might pray for those that are the closest to you, your family, your spouse, your kids, your mom and dad, whatever it is. But you're going to spend the majority of your time praying for yourself and for those that really, really matter to you in your life. And then there's another level of relationship where we get to that place where we, we serve Jesus more because of who he is, not necessarily just what he can do for us. Where we're like, you know, we, we love him because we've seen his faithfulness, we understand his character, we've maybe read through our Bible and we see that he's really, uh, that he's really worthy of our lives. And so our prayers go more from being just about us to really just praising him and thanking him for his faithfulness in our life and, and, and loving him for who he is. But then there's another level that we get to where we focus a lot of our energy and attention on the lost, on God's heart for the lost, not just on our stuff or on who he is, but actually fixating on his heart. That's when you know you've come to a level of maturity in your faith is when you actually care about God's heart for, for the world and for people. When you say, God, because we can't have his heart unless he gives it to us. So when, when our prayers are, God, break my heart for the things that break yours. God, put your heart in me. Help me to see lost people the way you see them help me to see them in a way that i don't just want them to go away but i want to see them get saved you know when we think about everything that's going on in our society today there's a lot of things going on in our society that could that could stir us up cause us to get frustrated or angry or or uh resentful you know whether it's against politicians we're in election season whether it's against rioters and looters whether it's against people that disagree with us whatever it is it's easy to think man I don't even care. I just want them to go away. When in reality, God's heart for those people would be, I really want them to experience the love of Jesus. I really want them to know his love and know who he is because that will change him. That will change them and make us more like Jesus. So we know where we are in our heart when we talk about evangelism. And you see, a lot of churches don't talk about evangelism a whole lot because it's not a real popular subject. Because most churches want to talk to you I shouldn't say most churches. A lot of times in, in church culture, we want to talk to the, to the congregants about how your life, how you can live the Christian life, encourage you in your Christian life, talk to you about how much God loves you, some beautiful aspects of the Christian life. There's nothing wrong with that. But a lot of times we'll avoid talking about evangelism because we see the glazed look that people get in their eye. They're like, oh, today they're talking about evangelism. Is there any way I can sneak out the back without anybody seeing me? <laughs> But we do get like that sometimes because it's, it's not something that uh, necessarily feeds what we want to be fed sometimes. But in reality, when we understand the word of God is that we know that as a Christian, it is our responsibility to be his hands and feet. Because see, a lot, too oftentimes we're not willing to make the surrender or the sacrifice necessary to really embrace the commission that we've all been given. The commission that Jesus gave, his last words on earth, it's documented in in Luke 16 and Matthew 28, oftentimes it's called the Great Commission because these are, this is what he said right before he ascended back into heaven. I'm gonna leave you with something before I leave that I want you to take with you for now until I come back. And let's read what he says. In Matthew 28, 19, he says, go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you and behold, I am with you always to the very end of the age. You see, we, we as Christians, we want people to get saved. We hope that people get saved. But at the end of the day, are we willing to really receive this commission as ours? This is not a commission for pastors or church staff or evangelists 
or teachers or those that are called to vocational ministry. It's not just for them. It's for you. And it's for me. We are all called to go and make disciples. Now, how that looks for you in comparison to me or somebody else might look a little different. You may never be on a stage preaching the gospel. You may never be a missionary to a foreign world, foreign land. But we're all called to make a difference. We're all called to be part of God's plan to bring his kingdom to this earth. Every single one of us. The day you gave your heart to Jesus, this commission was for you. Because you, know, you became the person that somebody else was commissioned to reach for the gospel, then it just goes from you to the next person. It's meant to multiply. That's God's heart for us. And our life is meant to bring God's kingdom to this earth. First and foremost, it is meant to bring his kingdom here. I've said this before, I'm going to say it today, and I'm sure I'm going to say it again because I believe it with all my heart. We are not, in this Christian life, we are not on a cruise ship. We are on a battleship. We did not sign up, when we signed up for this faith, we didn't sign up to kick back and enjoy the fruits of Jesus' labor for us. That's part of it. We get to enjoy what he did for us. We get to experience it and receive it. We get that joy unspeakable. We get the blessings of God. He's a good father. He wants to give us good things. We get that. But that's not the sum total of our life. That's kind of a, a fringe benefit. We've been commissioned. Once you sign up for this, you actually sign up for an army. And we're in God's army. And we're designed to be a soldier for him. And we're on a battleship. And we're going to storm the gates of hell. That's what we're designed to do, right? Amen. Give God praise. We're going into war. That is what the Christian life is. It is a war for souls. We're not soldiers on a boat going to try to kill somebody. We're, on, we're soldiers on a boat going to try to save people. We're trying to snatch them out of the depths of hell is what we're doing. And we're all called to be part of it, every one of us. And we will preach that message at this church for as long as I get to serve in this position because I believe in it with all my heart. You guys, I, I talk about the, the mission of this church and I'm gonna talk about it all the time because it's not just something we put up that looks good on a sign that we could put out in the atrium. It's, it's who we are. And the mission of this church is to reach people far from God and to teach people how to take their next step in a God first life. So it's two aspects. It's about reaching people and discipling people. And reaching people is the first part of that because you can't disciple people that aren't reached. So we want you to be part of that. Will you be part of the mission of this church and help us to reach people? Because see, that's not just my job as the pastor of this church. In fact, Ephesians 4 tells me that my job is to equip you for the work of the ministry. Because see, you guys have influence out there more than I do. Because I'm in this little bubble here at the church, living here, sometimes sleeping here, eating my meals here, <laughs> doing everything here. We get caught into this bubble sometimes because it can be all-consuming. But we're equipping you because you're out there working in the workplace. You're out there meeting people all the time and having interactions with people all the time that are far from God. And we want to equip you so you can go and be the light that they need in this world. And that will always be the heartbeat of this church because that's who we are. We, I am not, I have no desire to build New Hope's kingdom. I want to build God's kingdom. And that includes bringing people in here that don't know Jesus, that want to come and meet God and to be able to snatch them out of the, the depths, to snatch them away from death and into life. That's, that's my heart. And I believe that we're going to see that 
but you guys are going to play a big part in it. We can't do it without you. We can pray all day, and that's prayer's the first thing we need to do, but prayer is to get us ready to go and do it, to actually win those people. I'm getting ahead of my notes, so I've got to slow down a little bit. I really want us to think about this today because we need to be about winning souls. The Bible says he who wins a soul does a good thing. We need to win souls. They are worth it. They are worth us making the sacrifices we need to make. And I just want us to be honest today about where we're at in our own life. Some of us have, don't give much thought to evangelism, much thought to really winning people. We wanna see people get saved, but we're not really, we've never seen our part in it or really been willing to look at what our part in it could be. And we just need to take off that mask, not necessarily the one you're wearing right now, but the, the metaphorical mask. Take it off and are we, are we gonna allow God to shine his light in those places in our heart that we've never let him shine? That we've just kind of closed off and said, mm, I'm just, I'm gonna keep doing my thing. But God, I just don't know if I'm really willing to step out to be your hands and feet in the way that you might want me to do it. Because it is scary. It's really scary when we say, okay, God, my life's yours. I'm gonna, I'm gonna receive this great commission and I'm gonna be who you want me to be and I'm gonna do my part. It's scary. And there's a lot of things that get in the way from us being able to do that. Everything in the world is working against us doing what God has called us to do when it comes to reaching the lost, when it comes to evangelism, when it comes to being his hands and feet and loving people. But I would hope that we would have the heart of Paul, the Apostle Paul, where he wrote in 1 Corinthians 9, verse 22, it says, to the weak I became weak that I might win the weak. I have become all things to all people that by all means I might save some. I do this all for the sake of the gospel. Oh, I love that verse. I love it. I love it. I want that to be my heartbeat. I want that to be what drives me in the morning, in the afternoon, in the night, not just on Sundays, but every day of the week, that I would become all things to all people, that by all means, I might just save some, that, that, that my life would matter for something more than just being a good person. But my life would have made a difference in somebody else's life. That when I get to heaven, I'm going to see people that are there because the Lord used me to help touch their lives and draw them to him. Man, that that would be our heartbeat, that that would be what makes us tick in the day. So what is your perspective of that one sheep in that verse? In, the, in this verse, in the illustration, it's easy to think, oh yeah, you gotta go get that lost sheep. But the sheep that I'm thinking of for us is that person that we know doesn't know the Lord. Do we really, are we willing to stop everything and go find that one sheep and bring him back? Oh, that we would have God's heart for the lost sheep. So I wanna give you the what ifs of evangelism today. I got three of them. And they are to know the gospel, to live the gospel, and to share the gospel. What if we know the gospel? And I don't mean know the gospel, I mean know the gospel. What if we really know the gospel in our heart? Not, not necessarily even the American gospel sometimes, or the Western gospel, but the, the gospel of Jesus Christ. What if we really know it? You know, the, there's, a, there's a thing today, or I don't know how long it's been around, but people will say they... They have to have a DTR. You've heard that term, define the relationship. You know, you see it a lot of times in dating and, and awkward situations where you have to define what's going on because things are getting weird. Well, sometimes we have to do that in our relationship with Jesus too. We have to have a DTR with Jesus. We gotta, we gotta define our relationship with him because at the, at the end of the day, you can't share the gospel if you don't live the gospel and you can't live the gospel if you don't know the gospel. 
So this is the foundation for us to even be able to think about being his hands and feet, is we have to know the gospel. We gotta know the gospel, not a gospel. There's only one. There's only one gospel, and it's very clear in the word. And actually, a lot of church people miss this, guys. A lot of us miss this. A lot of Christians or church people focus so much on moral living and not necessarily on really knowing Jesus on an intimate level, not really understanding what it's like to really be in relationship with him. We, we, know, that, we know that Christianity is not religion, it's relationship. We know that term. But we still can tend to live sometimes like it's more of a religion. We can focus more on our moral living And I would dare to say that the biggest reason the church isn't winning people is because too many of us know Jesus and don't really know him. Because, you know, we're not the church of the United States and of the world, well, mostly in the United States, we're not doing a good job of winning people. You don't have to look at statistics to see that our society is getting further and further away from a Christian society. The church isn't winning people. And the biggest reason for that is because our foundation for so many of us, isn't where it needs to be. We don't really know him the way he wants us to know him. We can be so focused on just the moral part of it and not really the relational part. And let me, Jesus gives us kind of a reality check in, uh, in Matthew 12. I'm not gonna read the verse, but there's a, uh, he talks about when a demon gets kicked out of a person, driven out of a person, that demon goes and tries to find rest and doesn't find any. And so he decides he's gonna come back to the person and it says, and Jesus said that he finds the house swept and cleaned and nicely and nice and straightened up and unoccupied. It's very important here that you understand that he said unoccupied. Because then it says he goes and gets seven of his buddies that are more evil than him, brings them back, and they, they go into the house, and the man is worse off after than he was before. You guys have all probably heard that, that story. Well, that can be confusing sometimes, but what he is saying there is that when a clean house is not intimidating at all to our enemy. He doesn't care about a clean house. He doesn't care about something that looks like it's in order. The equivalent of moral living, good living, living by the 10 commandments and going to church and having the posture of someone that we think looks like a certain way we should look because we're Christians. The enemy is not scared one bit of any of that. He doesn't care at all. You can go, you can be the best person you wanna be. You know what scares the enemy is when he comes back to that house and he finds that it is occupied by the Holy Spirit. He don't want anything to do with that. He wants nothing to do with a person full of the Holy Spirit because the Bible is very clear that greater is he that is in me than he that is in the world, but he has to be in me. So we can't focus on the moral living. We have to focus on the indwelling of the Spirit in our life. And that comes from our relationship with him. That comes from really knowing him in our heart, not just having the outward appearance of knowing him. It's so important that we don't miss this, church. It's so important. Some of you may be thinking, you know, I really wish I could share my faith more, but I, man, I just don't feel like I even have it in me. I don't even know what to do. Focus on your relationship with Jesus. We have this incredible privilege to be able to be in relationship with the God of the universe. And it's the relationship with Jesus is not about church on Sunday. It's not about doing good things or, or believing a certain way necessarily or having a political stance or a, a social stance on something. It's not about those things. It is about you and him. It is about knowing him, coming into his presence and knowing him and having a relationship with him and talking to him, having conversation with him, reading your Bible, studying the word, knowing his character and who he is. That's the foundation that we can build on in our life. 
You know, the prodigal son story is one of the best descriptions of the gospel. And it's also in Luke 15. And you guys all know the story of the prodigal son. The son gets, he decides he wants his inheritance from the father because he wants to go and do his own thing. And so the father gives him his inheritance. He goes off. He squanders all his money on, on hard living. And he finally gets to a point where he's starving and he repents and he says, you know what, I'll go home. I'll ask my dad if I can just be a servant in his house. And he comes home and the father sees him a long way off, the Bible says, and he runs to him and he puts a robe on him and he hugs him and he puts a ring on his finger and sandals on his feet and he throws a party for him. It's a beautiful depiction of the love of God. Beautiful depiction. And we love to talk about that story, but one part we don't talk about a whole lot is the son that stayed home. Because see, that's the son that had the empty house. It was clean, it looked good, because he stayed home, he did what his dad asked him to do. But you know he didn't really know the father. He was there because of the perks. He was there because he was expecting to have good things. Now that's a part of it. Again, I'm not saying we shouldn't be talking about the goodness of God in our life, but that's only a part of it. That can't be the motivating factor for us. The motivating factor has to be the Father's love and knowing him in our heart, having that relationship with him, the intimate relationship that we get to have with our God. That son did not know the Father. And we know that because he was angry because the Father was excited that his other son came home. It's ludicrous when we think about it, but too many of us in the church live that way where we're too concerned about the outward appearance and doing the right things, hoping the Father will throw a party for us. When in reality, he just wants us to know him. And if we know him, we'll know why he does the things he does when he celebrates when that lost son comes home. Knowing the gospel comes from a revelation of knowing who we are in light of who he is. I shared last week about forgiveness. And I said, you know, we can only forgive to the level that we know we've been forgiven. You know, when we understand how how vast the the gap was between us and God and realizing what he actually had to do so that we could be in relationship with him he 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 totally closed up that insurmountable chasm that was between us and when we have a revelation of that there's nothing in this world we can't forgive but it's the same way for the lost we can only have a heart for the lost to the level that we understand and have a revelation of how lost we were it's only about how lost we have to understand that we are ju- we're just as lost as the most, the worst sinner you can think of in your mind in this whole world. We were just as lost because we were separated from God because of our sin. We're born into it. It doesn't matter if you've never done any of the big sins that the world would say are big sins. It doesn't matter. The Bible says our righteousness is as filthy rags to him. So we were separated. And until we understand how lost we were, it's going to be hard for us to have a heart for the lost now. But that's what God wants for us. We need a revelation of how badly we need a Savior. Look at Romans 11, verses 35 to 36. These are the words of the Apostle Paul. He says, Whoever, Who has ever given to God that God should repay him? For from him and through him and to him are all things. To him be the glory forever. It's a beautiful verse. We have to understand God owes us nothing, but he gave us everything. What an incredible God that we serve. He owed us nothing. He could have just blotted us out, said, you know what? This whole human experiment was a fail. You guys are gone. He didn't do that. He said, I'm going to pay the price to redeem them back to me. But in that, the Bible is very clear that he is for his glory. He is for his glory. It says, from him, through him, and to him are all things. To him be the glory forever. 
We need to understand that our life is about bringing him glory. And what brings him glory is us having that relationship with him and knowing him. Because everything that's fruitful in life will spring from that. Job said, though he slay me, I will still serve him. That's a church, I want that to be my heart. That he doesn't owe me anything. I don't need anything from him. And if he would just slay me, I will still serve him. Now, God doesn't slay us. But just to have that heart of Job to know that it doesn't matter what happens. Nothing can, can detour me from loving my God because what he's done for me, he doesn't owe me anything. And when we have that heart and we pursue him with that heart, we will affect people in our lives. We will want to see people that are far from God brought into the kingdom of God and we will make the sacrifices we need to bring them into the place, into the, the pen with the rest of us sheep. And if we don't get this foundation right, we'll never be able to produce the fruit in our life that God wants us to, to, to produce. Because you cannot lead people to places you've never been. I could take you to my hometown that I grew up in Ohio, take you all around, show you everything. And I don't need a map or nothing to do it. I could take you everywhere I, you want to see. But I couldn't take you to California and show you anything. Because, I, well, I've been there, but it's been a long time ago. Northern California, I've never been there. I couldn't take you there and show you anything without a map. Because I've never been there. We can't take people to places we've never been. We can't take people into a deep relationship with Jesus if we've never been there. Just can't do it. Cannot do it. Don't be the son that stayed home because of the perks. All right, the second one is what if we live the gospel? Understand this, church. Living the gospel, because we know the gospel, will draw people to Jesus. If we live the gospel, the true gospel, it will draw people to Jesus. You do not have to be a preacher. Look at Jesus' words in Matthew 5, 14 to 16. He says, you, talking about you and me, you are the light of the world. A city on a hill cannot be hidden. Neither do people light a lamp and put it under a bowl. Instead, they put it on its stand and it gives light to everyone in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others that they may see your good deeds and glorify your Father in heaven. Your good deeds. This, these are good deeds that come from a knowing Jesus. Okay? This, is not the, this isn't the good deeds of just trying to be a good person because you think that's a good thing and hoping that it'll bring people to Jesus. It comes from a relationship with Jesus. Those good deeds, we will be light to the world. People are watching us. The world is watching us. They're watching you at work. They're watching you on social media. They're watching you when you drive your car. They're watching us. And Jesus says, we are meant to be that. We are meant to be a city on a hill. We're meant to be a light. You know, people want light. Nobody likes to sit in a dark room where they can't see anything. People want light. Too often we think people don't want to really hear what we have to offer them. Possibly because sometimes Christians have done it in such a, a harsh way that it's turned people off. But if we do it the way Jesus wants us to do it, it is light to people. And people want to have light. But these good deeds have to come from our faith in our God. You know, I talked last week a little bit about a tree. You know, Jesus said that a, a good tree will bear good fruit and a bad tree will bear bad fruit. The fruit is the deeds. You know, we will have fruit in our life, but if we just try to have the, the good deeds without the root in Jesus, it's not good fruit. It may look like good fruit, but when you open it up, it's rotten. Because the only good fruit can come from a good tree. The only good tree is the tree that's rooted in Jesus. That's it. 
There's no other option. There's no way to have a good tree other than being in Jesus, rooted in him. But if we are rooted in him, our good deeds will glorify our father because it will draw people to Jesus. I mean, it really is that simple. We try to complicate evangelism sometimes. It's not about sitting someone down and taking them through the Romans road and convincing them that they're a horrible sinner and they need a savior. Some people are actually really good at that. And those that can do that, that's wonderful. But that's, that's few and far between. But what we can do is live a life where people will see our good deeds and it'll draw them to Jesus. We can do that. And that's what God calls us to do. Our lives have to look different than the world. They have to look different. We cannot be, we cannot try to blend into the world. That's a, that's a strong pull in the church. We want to look as much like the world as we can, but still have Jesus. In reality, Jesus is saying, you don't need to look like the world. In fact, James, <laughs> you love James because he never pulls any punches. And in James chapter 4, verse 4, look what he says. He says, you adulterous people, don't you know that friendship with the world is hatred towards God? Anyone who chooses to be a friend of this world becomes an enemy of God. I wish he would just say what he felt. We cannot be friends with the world. And that doesn't mean you don't have friends in the world, but he's talking about the standard of our living. If we're trying to blend in and, and, and look just like them, but you know, kind of have our church thing we do on Sunday, it doesn't work that way. We're supposed to stand out, but stand out in a good way. Not condemning everybody who doesn't agree with us, but loving in a way that so far exceeds people's expectations, they have no choice but to glorify God. That's what we're called to do. All right, and I'm going to move on because I'm running out of time. I'm going to get to give you the third one. What if we share the gospel? So if we know the gospel, we live the gospel, then we can share the gospel. You know, most Christians, statistically, most Christians will never lead someone to Jesus. And I don't say that as a, as a downer. Some of you probably have, but we know statistically, obviously, if every Christian led someone to Jesus, the Christian world would double, and then it would double again. The whole world would be saved in no time. But most Christians are too intimidated to share their faith or embarrassed or don't know how to do it or, for whatever reason, don't feel strong enough in their own faith that they would even know how to talk to somebody about faith in Jesus. For whatever reason, most Christians will not share their faith with another person or lead someone to Jesus. And this is where we get tripped up because this is where the rubber meets the road. This is where it's at. If I were to say, you know, we can, we can have a good time in here today. If I said, hey, right after church, we're all going over here to Food Lion and everybody that comes in, we're just going to talk to them about Jesus. <laughs> It'd be a little, we'd be a little more nervous because that's hard to do. And I'm not suggesting that's the way to evangelize, but I just, we just know, we all know that it is an intimidating thing sometimes to talk about our faith to someone that doesn't have that same faith because it can seem so foreign to so many people. But here's, here's the thing. We, we as a church... We have, to, we have to make sure we don't allow ourselves to get caught up in this consumer-driven culture that we're in. You know, our, our culture is so consumer-driven. You watch TV and you see that everybody's marketing all over the place, trying to get your money, trying to get you to buy their product instead of somebody else's. And it is kind of infiltrated into the church too. The church has kind of become consumer-driven in a lot of ways where we're just, you know, as church leaders, we're trying to get people to come in and, you know, do we need to do things prettier or more excellent to try to get people in? There's nothing wrong with doing those things. But to some degree, we're, we're kind of pandering in this consumer-driven culture that we're in right now. And, but 
it's the, we cannot be consumer-driven as followers of Jesus. It's not about what, what can the church do for me or what can somebody else do for me. It, it's about what the gospel has done for me, and now I need to take that and go and make a difference. And not just focusing on what, what can be done for me. You know, there's so many things that get in the way of us really sharing our faith. I think self-preservation sometimes will cause us to be hesitant. Fear will cause us to be hesitant to really share. Life just gets in the way. Or maybe you just haven't experienced the real power, the real life-changing power of the gospel in your life. Or you've forgotten how you were before you were one of the 99. And so it can be very easy to get intimidated and not feel like we have anything to offer to those in our life that really need to hear the gospel. I was, I was so encouraged this morning. One of our board members was sharing with me this morning. He didn't even know I was preaching on evangelism. He, he uh, stayed with a buddy of his last night, and he said he felt like when he got up this morning, the Lord told him he needed to talk to this guy. This guy does not know Jesus and um, actually has a bad history with church and has been hurt uh, through different relationships that have to do with the church. And he said he felt like the Lord told him just to go up to him and tell him before he left to come to church today, he just went up to him and he said, I just want you to know that God is not who you think he is. And if you ever have any questions, I'm here for you. That's all I said. And the guy was very blessed by it, very touched. He offered him a Bible. He said, do you have a Bible? He said, I have one in storage somewhere. He said, I'll get you a Bible. Very easy, very, very non-aggressive, non-offensive. You know, just said, God's, God's not the person you think he is. He's better than that. That's evangelism, church. That's all it is. It's just telling somebody God's really, really good. He's really, really good. I hope you give him a chance. It's not, hey, you're a horrible sinner, you heathen. Let me show you some verses about hell so maybe you'll get saved. You know, Again, some people are actually really good at that. They do it and it's effective, but most of us don't, don't do that. It's just about sharing the love of Jesus with people. Romans 1.16, this is the gospel. Paul says, for I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek, and even to the Georgian and the South Carolinian. Maybe even Yankees, I don't know. I'm not sure if it gets up there. but The gospel is the power of God unto salvation. It's power. It's not convincing someone of a doctrine. It's power. It is the Holy Spirit power going into someone, changing their life, making them taking them from being lost to being found. That's what the gospel is. It's not our power. It's not our convincing ability. It is the Holy Spirit working in the hearts of people. We're just called to be obedient. It's not up to us to get people saved. No one in this room or no human has ever in the history of the world gotten another person saved. None of us. We can be the hands and feet, but we're not doing the saving. Man, don't get saved into me because that is worthless. We get saved into Jesus. He's the one that saves us. And you know, the difference between sheep and humans is that, you know, sheep want to be found because they know they're helpless. Some humans don't necessarily know they're lost. And that's where this can become difficult. If every human that was lost knew they were lost, it'd be really easy. You just go up to them and say, hey, you need Jesus. Oh, great, okay. Evangelism would be a piece of cake. But a lot of humans don't know they're lost, especially in an American culture like this where we're so blessed and a lot of people that don't have any relationship with God can say, why do I need God? I go to work every day, I pay my bills, I'm good to my wife and my kids, what do I need God for? They don't always understand their great need for God. But only God can help them see their great need for him. Our job is to be 
the light, the city on a hill for them to share with them what God has done in our life. So let me just ask the question, what can I do? What can I do to be his hands and feet? And I wanna give you just five very quick things, I'm gonna go through them quickly, that we can do to be God's hands and feet to the people in our lives. First of all, we pray for God's heart. If God doesn't give us his heart in this, this is, it's fruitless. Because we are not wired in our DNA to want people to get saved. It's only the Spirit of God in us, drawing us to people and giving us their, God's heart for them. If you don't get God's heart for this, this sermon today will be ancient history before lunch is over. You gotta have God's heart. So pray for God to give you his heart. Secondly, meet someone, find out a need, meet the need. It's really that simple. Nothing speaks to people more than when you make a sacrifice for them to meet a need for them, when you didn't have to do it. And then that gives you an opportunity, an open door. Like, why'd you do that for me? Because Jesus loves you and so do I. That's it. That's evangelism. Meeting a need. Or supporting someone that's actually supporting a ministry that's really good at helping to meet needs. We do that here. You guys are so amazing at giving it to missions and, and local outreach. We get to support four ministries consistently every month that are really making a difference. 1040 Hope in Lebanon, Ben Johnson's ministry, Michael Conway in South America, the Bridge Ministry right down here on the bottom of the hill, ministering to the homeless, and I Care who ministers to the, the girls getting them out of uh, human trafficking. We give to them every month because of the giving you guys give. Those people are doing it. They're preaching the gospel. That's something we can do too. So keep doing that. Keep it up. It's wonderful. I'm, I'm blown away every week when I see all the giving to missions from this church. It's, it's really phenomenal. And that's an easy way for us to be part of evangelism. Thirdly, share your testimony. The enemy is defeated by the word of our testimony. Not just in our life, but it can also be a defeating thing to the enemy in other people's lives too. Not only that, no one can argue about your testimony. I can tell you what Jesus has done in my life. You can't argue with it. I mean, you can, but you look foolish. Most people don't. They want to hear what God's done in your life. It's the most powerful thing we could do is say, I used to be this guy, and now I'm this guy. The only thing that got me from here to here is Jesus. And if people want to get offended by that, then, then they want to be offended. Share your testimony. The fourth one, hospitality. Opening your home to somebody. You know, we're in a culture now where nobody opens their home anymore to people coming in. Not nobody. It, it's, it's becoming less and less common for people to open up their homes. Homes are becoming our sanctuary. That's where we want to be to get away from everything. We don't necessarily want to come home and open up our home and invite people in. But the Bible is very clear that we are to practice hospitality. Very clear. That is a, that is a, a, uh, a part of the Christian character for us to practice hospitality. It's not just so we can show off our home. It's because when you invite people in, it gives you an open door into their life. People are much more willing to let you in when you sacrifice the privacy of your home and bring them into your home. I've had so many opportunities to talk to people about Jesus by bringing them into my home. And it's not that hard to do. You can order a wife saver and have it brought in. You don't even have to cook. Clean the bathroom and you're good to go, right? And then fifthly and lastly, invite someone to church. Invite them to church. If you're, the, statistically, they say most people will come to church if they're invited by a friend. Say, hey, come to church with me. If you don't feel like you have the, the wherewithal to really be able to talk about the Lord to them, just invite them to church. And I promise you, we will consistently talk about God's love. We will consistently talk about the gospel in this place. And frankly, we have some of the most loving people in this church. You can't come in here and not feel good. And I believe God will encounter them and they come into this place. So invite people to church. Let's fill this place up. 
Again, I don't care about building New Hope's kingdom, but I believe that, that God's kingdom will be built when we invite people. Amen? All right, I'm done. Stand with me, please. As I close, the world needs Jesus, but the one needs Jesus too. You're, you're probably not gonna change the world, but you can change someone's world. God could use you to minister to someone. And we all have someone in our life that needs us to have God's heart for them, that they're lost. And it's hard to look at people as being lost sometimes because it sounds, like I said, it sounds so negative. But in reality, if we're, if we're not living for Jesus, we're lost. We're lost and we need him. And Jesus is the only one that's gonna change the lives of the people that we care about. And he's the only one that's gonna change our society. It's people falling in love with Jesus. He could transform societies. He could transform cultures. But he chooses to use the church to be his hands and feet. And we're all called to it. So I wanna just challenge you today, church. I wanna challenge you to ask the Lord what your role is in evangelism and helping to reach the lost. What is your role? Some of you in here may be called to ministry and you've been avoiding it for years. You need to answer the call. Some of you have a neighbor that you know you could talk to, you've just been too nervous to do it. I wanna challenge you to step out. You know, we're so, we get so scared to talk to people about Jesus, but Jesus promised us that the harvest is plentiful. The people we don't think really wanna hear about Jesus, you'd be amazed how many of them actually do. He said the harvest is plentiful. He said to pray for the laborers to go into the field. So he's telling us the harvest is there, it's ready. We just need people to be willing to step out in faith. And you know what, you might get rejected. You might get made fun of. Is that the worst thing in the world? I'd rather be able to stand before God knowing that I did what I felt he called me to do. I didn't let the fear of man get in the way. But fear of man's a real thing for all of us. There isn't a person that doesn't struggle with fear of man. But we don't have to succumb to that fear. We can come against it. So let's pray. Father God, we love you today. We do, Jesus. We thank you so much. Thank you that you choose to use us to be your hands and feet. God, and for every person in here today, I pray, Lord. Mm. Father, I pray that you would open our eyes to see your heart for the lost. Lord, would you break our heart for the things that break yours? God, we confess that we get self-involved. Even in our Christian life, we get more concerned about ourselves and, and those that are close to us that we care about than we do about the lost. But God, we don't wanna stay that way. We wanna know the gospel and live the gospel and share the gospel. We wanna be that city on a hill that you've called us to be, that doesn't hide its light. Help us to be the light you've called us to be, Lord. Whatever that looks like for each one in this room and anyone listening, would you reveal it to us, God? Reveal those people in our lives that you would want us to step out to just share your love with. God, we're submitted to you. We wanna see your kingdom come on this earth. Your kingdom come, your will be done on this earth just like it is in heaven. We're committed to you, Jesus. We wanna build your kingdom, Lord. Help us to be people that go after the one for your glory, God. We thank you. We love you. It's in Jesus' name that we pray. And everyone said,
Amen. Amen. Can you give God praise this morning? Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord.